Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Virtual Church. I hope you all are having a wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, We look forward to seeing you in person as soon as we can. Uh, If you have your Bibles, please turn to Galatians chapter 3. As you're turning there, just a couple of announcements. If you're interested in in participating in dinner eights, go ahead and uh, just shoot Melanie an email or text her or something, and she'll put you on the list. I think we're going to get those um, situated here pretty soon. Um, we also are going to do a Good Friday service on April 2nd. It's uh, the first Friday of of uh, first Friday of April. Obviously, I just said April 2nd. Um, we are going to do it outside on the patio. It starts at 6 p.m. And we're, we're only going to offer uh, in-person service for the Good Friday service. We're not doing the uh, pre-recording uh, for that. Uh, it's just going to be here uh, out on the, the patio in the playground area. And it will be a, a communion service that we, we gather together for that. So if you'd like to come, we welcome you to, to join us for the Good Friday service, which is it's crazy. It's a, just a couple weeks away here. So we look forward to that. Uh, we have a lot of material to cover today uh, as we get into Galatians chapter 3. So let's pray and we'll look at our passage for today. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter of Galatians. It's there are some sections that are that are technical and, and, and doctrinal and and carry with them sort of big important concepts. And I ask, Lord, that you would help me to to explain them in a way that's uh, simple and that we can understand them. Father, I pray that you would help us to to grab hold of the main points and things in chapter three, as Paul deals with uh, really the life of Abraham and and his example and how the law doesn't um, supersede uh, the promises that were made by you to Abraham and how we today uh, fall as or are brought in as children of Abraham's through faith. And so, Father, I do pray that you would uh, show us yourself as we uh, study today, as we look at this passage we ask that you would uh, help us and that you would be honored and glorified uh, through our time here now and um, and just in our lives. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you Do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, 
All those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. And now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would lead us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, so today we begin a new section. We're, we're entering into chapter 3, and it, it, it's sort of a, a different, uh, I don't want to say category of writing, but the, the content. So if, if chapters 1 and 2 were sort of personal in nature, 3 and 4 become very doctrinal. And so he's, he's making some big doctrinal points uh, concerning justification, uh, being declared righteous before God, um, in relationship to the law. And so he's going to show us the real biblical purpose of the law, which is to point us to Jesus. And then as we get into chapters 4 and 5, we begin to hit on more um, uh, practical application, sort of it's more practical in nature. And so today with today's overview... Uh, he, Paul begins with a bunch of questions, r- really rhetorical questions. He's, he's sort of leading them in a direction, uh, really causing them to sort of go back to when they came to Christ and to remember uh, how they uh, received Jesus, how they became Christians, and what God did then. And from those questions and sort of pointing them a, a certain direction, he's going to go back in time all the way to Genesis chapters 12 through 15, and we're going to look at the Abrahamic covenant, and in the Abrahamic covenant, to see that God has always operated on the basis of, of faith. And so what I noticed is, is he begins and ends today's section with, with the crucifixion. So he, that Jesus is portrayed as crucified in verse 1 by verse 14, we see that uh, Jesus has redeemed us uh, through the cross. And so it's a beautiful section. We begin here in verse 1, and he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, uh, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Now this question, who betrayed you? This is a, he, he's appealing now directly to the Galatian believers. He, he's going to them and he's asking, who led you off course? Who tricked you? Who fooled you? Who is leading you astray? 
Uh, J.B. Phillips, in his translations, he, he writes this. It made me laugh. He says, oh, you dear idiots in Galatia. Now, he does refer to them as brothers, and he also refers to them as children later in the letter. So this is, he, he loves them. He's not being just sort of uh, throwing stones at them, trying to hurt their feelings. Um, he's, he's addressing the, their lack of spiritual discernment. They weren't lacking intelligence, but they were lacking spiritual discernment. They weren't thinking through the implications uh, that these Judaizers and what they were saying that they had to be circumcised, they they had to follow the Mosaic law in addition to believing in Christ in order to be right with God, and and in their sort of adopting these things, uh, Paul is pointing out to the Galatians that they've been fo- like it's foolish. They they haven't even. Uh, considered the the logic in what is being presented to them. So he says, you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now he's not saying that they were there at the crucifixion, but Paul was there as the one who presented the gospel to them initially. He was the one that, that told them the biblical truth and led them to Christ and to, pointed them to Jesus and, and the substitutionary atonement of Jesus' work on the cross, that he stood there in place of them. And he says, it, basically, his teaching was so plain, he knows that in what he taught them, in their mind's eye, they could see Jesus on the cross. He knows who led them astray. He knows his teaching, this, this publicly portrayed, it's the word that we would use for like a billboard, that it's like front and center, it's clear. This wasn't some secondary point. So he, he knows these Judaizers had led them astray. He also knows what they received from him. And he says in verse 2, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? or by hearing with faith? How did they become Christians? How did they receive Christ? Did they receive the Spirit of God within them through following the Mosaic law? Did did the Mosaic law lead them down a path that suddenly caused God's Spirit to indwell them? Or did they obviously... Did they receive the Spirit of God through faith? Now, in Ephesians 1.13, Paul writes about this, In him, that's Jesus, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the gospel is clearly defined as Jesus' substitutionary atonement on the cross, that he went to the cross in our place, that the wrath of God was poured out upon him for our sins according to the Scriptures that he was buried for three days or he was placed in a tomb for three days. And then on the third day, he raised from the dead, conquering sin. He did this for us. He did it because he loves us. He did it because of grace. We receive this truth through faith as he continues to say, uh, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so he's saying, remember back to your conversion. 
I think this is really important for each of us to do, to, to consider. Some of us might have an actual moment that you actually know when you were kind of confronted with the gospel, then you responded and, and, and you knew that Jesus was for you. Other of us, I have a story where I have like a, like a couple-year window where God was working in my life and I don't necessarily have a moment. And so for me, when I look back, I look back to that, that season of, of really uh, just being lost and knowing the gravity of my sin and then coming to understand who Jesus was over the seri- this, 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 this season in my life. I, I did ultimately have a, like a, 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 a night where I remember I just like, kind of like broke down for the, from, before the Lord and I surrendered. And so when I look back that 20 some odd years ago, to me, I remember that I, like, I was a broken man. I, I brought nothing to the table. I wasn't good. I was sinful. I, my life was a disaster. And I came broken before the Lord, and he received me, and he redeemed me, and he gave me his spirit, and he began doing this work in my life. And it's a, a beautiful thing. And, he, and Paul is telling the Galatians to do the same thing. Verse 3, he asks another question. Are you foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's like, are you being foolish? He's telling them, don't be foolish. If you receive Christ by faith, or, and you receive the Spirit of God, and you began your spiritual journey this way, are you now that you've been saved, are you going to then go the distance by works? And he's... he's He's making the case that, no, you're saved by God's grace. You're carried by God's grace. You're to continue in God's grace. And you're to walk by faith throughout all the stages of your life. The works we do are born out of faith and response to what God has done for us, not in our seeking God's sort of blessing or God's love for us. God loves us. He's, he's saved us. He's done everything. And because he's done this for, for, for us and in our lives, as we respond, we're responding because of what God has done for us. And he's saying, don't get off course. I think about this all the time, that people have this encounter with Jesus and their lives are transformed. And then it's only a matter of time in, in Christian culture that they began, they began to go off course. Forgot to tell everybody to silence their cell phones. I can hear it in my back pocket. I'll have to deal with that later. So silence your cell phones. It happens to the best of us. I remember while I was in seminary, and, and this guy had us over to our house. He invited our family over for, for dinner and and it was really like a sad, like it was a good night. Like it was very hospitable. And, and I remember at one point during the conversation, he said, man, I remember when I got saved, like all I wanted to do was to talk about Jesus. And now that I've been seminary, like now all I want to do is to, to tell people about dispensationalism. And I just remember thinking, I'm like, why, like, why would you depart from Jesus? Why would you depart to the system and, and within the framework of 
Christianity, there's, there's all of these individuals who rise up and they come up with these, these systems and these formulas. And if you do these certain things, then you'll have like perfect children and all of the things will go right. And, and, and formulas are, are not the way to experience God. We experience God through Christ and walking with him by faith and, and trusting in his grace. And he does stuff in our lives. But we can't get the sort of the, you know, the cart before the horse, as they say. He goes on to say, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. They suffered at the hands of, of Jewish individuals who were opposed to Jesus. And, and it sort of indicates that these 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 Galatians early in their faith, they experienced persecution. And, and now that they've endured the persecution, they're slipping back under the sort of the teaching of the individuals that were persecuting them. And he's saying, like that would be vanity. Why are you why are you doing this? Verse 5, so then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? He's saying all the things that God did in your midst, was it because of your obeying the Mosaic law or was it because you responded to God's offer by faith and then you saw his hand begin to work through you? The, the answer is obvious, and through these questions, Paul is forcing them to, to, re, to remember their origins, to remember them in their conversion moment. I, I think that, there, that there's something good for us in reflecting back to our early life in Christ when we first responded to the gospel, to, to remember who we were apart from Christ and, and to reflect on what he did to us in our rawness and our hurtness. God works through faith, not by works, not some formula or system. He doesn't ask us to do this or that or a whole bunch of little things. And if you do these things just right, then God will respond. We're told that God has done a whole bunch of things for us. There were promises that were made there, and God has fulfilled his obligations, and he offers to them as a gift, and we simply respond. And so Paul is reminding us of this truth and this reality. And as he is forcing them down that path, he says, if you want to talk about Judaism, let's, let's talk about Judaism. If we want to talk about circumcision and the Mosaic law, let's, let's talk about that. But we have to do it in context. And, and a lot of this is going to be covered next week in the second half of Galatians chapter 3. But for today, he's going to introduce us to Abraham, sort of the, the grandfather, the, the origin of it all. And in verse 6, we read, Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So he's just getting right to sort of the jugular vein of Christianity, that, that our relationship with God 
is based on God's grace and God's mercy to us, not on our own works and how we respond to what God has done for us. I just lost my train of thought. Like what God has done for us, we respond by faith. And that's where our righteousness comes from, not by our own system of, of works. And so he quotes from this right here. What he quotes is from the Abrahamic covenant. Now, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. And so, we're, I mean, the first 12 chapters of the Bible, like we're going back to the very sort of very early in the scriptures. Now, in looking at the big picture here, <clears throat> chapter 12, the first three verses, we have uh, the Abrahamic covenant is, is sort of introduced. Um, Abraham at this time, or Abram, is about 75 years old. And... Um, this Abrahamic covenant is introduced. Now, we, we turn the page and we go to <clears throat> Genesis chapter 15. And then we get the Abrahamic covenant again. It's sort of ratified and it's going to be placed in, into action. But, but a number of years has gone by. I believe by this point, uh, Abraham is now, let me see if I can find his age. He was 75, I think this is like 25 years later, or excuse me, by the end of chapter 16, he's 86, so he's, he's a number of years along. But in chapter 15, verse 1, let's just read verse 1, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord, God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given me no offspring, since you have given no offspring to me, one born of my house, one, excuse me, you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, now look to the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. And so God makes this promise that through Abraham's body, he's an old man, his wife is barren, and he, he says, look out at the stars, see if you can count the stars. That's how many your descendants will be through your body. And we're, we're told in verse 6, then he, that's Abram, believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And this is the verse that Paul is quoting from in Galatians chapter 3. 
And so he says, in this moment, then he believed. This is the Old Testament. This is the very first page. This is Abraham. This is the Abrahamic covenant, which is one of the great covenants of, of the Bible, that a, a covenant that God makes with Abram, the nation of Israel, through, through, for us. Then he believed. He responds by faith to what God would do. And then he, God, reckoned or credited it to his account or imputed it, it to him as righteousness. So Abraham was declared righteous because he believed, not because of anything that he would do. And the rest of this is a really cool story. I don't know that we have time to unpack it all, but we see in verses 7 through... 12-ish, God tells him to get a series of animals. He says, get a three-year-old heifer, get a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them, and he cut them in two, and, and laid each half opposite of each other, but he did not cut the birds. And the birds of prey came down to the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, Terror and great darkness fell upon him. And so the, the scene here, Abraham's getting worried because God just had made a, a promise to him of something that he would do. Abraham believed, and this covenant is sort of placed into motion. Now, what would happen during this era, we sign contracts. You know, we see, sign legally binding contracts that you, you can't get out of and and so what they would do is they would take these animals, they would split them, they would lay each half of the animal sort of like where a, a ravine came together, and they would put like half on each side so that the blood of the animal would flow into the ravine. And then the two individuals making the, the contract with one another would walk back and forth through the blood, and they are effectively saying that if I breach my half of the, of the deal, then may you do to me as these animals are. And so Abraham realizes that this contract is being struck with God, but he knows he does not have the capacity to, to hold his side of the bargain. And then when we come down to verse 17, it came about when the sun had said it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I have given this land. And so he puts Abram to sleep. And God is the individual that's walking through this saying that, that for these promises to be upheld, it was totally contingent on God's character and his promise and had nothing to do with Abraham or his works, there was nothing for Abraham to do. He believed God, he had faith, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, going back to Galatians, verse 6, this is sort of where Paul, not sort of, this is what Paul is referencing to. He says, even so, Abram believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He's quoting Genesis 15, verse 6. Verse 7, Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. 
if you have faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross, you become a child of Abraham. That promise that God made as Abraham looked up at the stars and was trying to count him. And God says, as numerous as the stars are, that's what your descendants will be. Now, genetically from Abraham down to Jesus, then through the cross, as the stories can unpack. But what he tells us here is those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. We become Abraham's children, his grandchildren. He becomes our father. Verse 8, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify to declare the Gentiles righteous before him, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand, beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So now he's quoting from Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. You can look that up on your own. And he's saying this directly. He's saying, knowing his plan all along to bring the nations together through Abraham. Notice it says all the nations, plural. You can circle the S. If you go back to to Genesis, you'll find the same thing. All the nations. It doesn't say just Israel. All the nations will be blessed in you. That's Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith that we who are Gentiles stand separated from God, just like the Jews. We are grafted in. We were made children. We are declared righteous before God on the basis of faith. Because of his God, because of his grace, because of his work on the cross, we believe we're declared righteous. That's to be justified. We're told that he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, which is just like, Back in Genesis 12, did, did God explain that the, the pre-incarnate Christ appears in that section? And it, and it seems from this that Abraham, many, many years before the cross, received a vision and a picture of what was coming through the Messiah on the cross, which is just Beautiful. All nations from the very beginning were included in this. Verse 9, so then those who are of faith, this is the, the Gentile believers in Galatia, this is you and I, are blessed with Abram the believer. Justification has always been on the basis of faith. To be justified is a legal term to be declared righteous. Our being declared righteous is not based on our works. Thank God. Our basis of righteousness is based upon the work that Jesus did by faith. Now what Paul's going to get into in the second half, the reason he's bringing up Abraham, a huge piece of this, like why is Paul talking about Abraham? Remember the, t- the two issues that they're dealing with. When we went to Acts chapter 15, there were Judaizers that said, unless you're circumcised, unless you observe the Mosaic law, you cannot be saved. You cannot be right with God. And so now Paul interjects Abraham, the father of it all. 
and the story that he goes to in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, where we're told that Abraham believed God and it was credited to, credited, credited to him as righteousness. This is before circumcision existed. Circumcision wouldn't enter the picture until Genesis chapter 17. So we're talking like 14 to 17 years after the incident in chapter 15. Or yes, chapter 15, verse 6, where the Abraham covenant is, is initiated. 17 years after that is when the, the covenant of circumcision would come. Some 430 years after that is when Moses would enter the scene and the Mosaic law would come. So the Abrahamic covenant and all of these promises that God made to Abraham and through Abraham that we benefit from predate any works. It's always been on the basis of faith. And so we're told here that we who are of faith are linked to Abraham who was of faith also, that we are linked to him by our faith. He goes on to say in verse 10, for as many, for as, many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law of the law to perform them. So here he's quoting from Deuteronomy. He's fast forwarding time, Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. Israel has been in slavery for all of those years. They're going through the wilderness wandering. Moses is their leader at this point. And as he gives the law, in Deuteronomy 27 verse 20 chapter 27 verse 26 it says right there cursed is everyone that does not abide by all things written in the book of the law so if you're living by the law and you don't perform them 100% perfectly then you are cursed if you're trying to be justified by, justified by your own good works, your own righteousness, or the righteousness found within the law, you're in trouble. Jesus' brother James in James 2.10 would say this, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point, he has become guilty of, of the whole law. And so he says, if you're trying to be justified by the law, you are in trouble. Verse 11, now no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. He says that no, no one can be justified by the law. That, that's not the purpose of the law, which he's going to get into as we get into chapter 4. The law solely exists to condemn you. It solely exists to, to bring your sin to the surface and to show you that you can't be right with God. And then he quotes from Habakkuk 2.4, this beautiful verse. The righteous man, the man who's been declared righteous, justified before God, lives by faith. This 
verse impacted Paul greatly from Habakkuk, a great book of the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite uh, prophets. Paul quotes from it in Romans, uh, in Romans 1, verse 17. He quotes from it here in Galatians 3.11. This verse would radically transform Martin Luther's life. This verse would be the, the spark that ignited uh, the Reformation. And, and the story goes that, that Luther made a pilgrimage um, to Rome, and, and they claim that the steps that are there are the steps that, that Jesus went up um, to stand before Pontius Pilate and that Jesus' blood there. I don't, know, like, I don't think anybody thinks it's actually true that, Je- that Jesus' blood is still on the steps. And so these pilgrims would go to Rome, and they would go up these steps on their knees. And after each step on their knees, they would, they would pause and they'd go through a, a series of things. And uh, uh, they're trying to earn indulgences so that they can get away with sin and not get in any trouble and they do all the stuff. And so there Martin Luther was halfway up the steps and this verse entered his mind the righteous man shall live by faith as he's doing his works, trying to get right with God. This man who was so sensitive to the law, the history tells us that Luther, when he was going through seminary and he was in sort of the monastery or whatever, that that he would constantly go to confession and he would confess everything and the priest would say, stop coming back, come back when you actually have something to confess but Luther's conscience was so sensitive to his sinfulness that in between his studies, he would be whipping himself at night to try to subdue the sinful desires. And as he goes up this, the steps, he encounters the God of the Bible and his desire for us to respond to his gift by faith, not by works. And God used this verse, the righteous man shall live by faith. Now Luther writes upon this experience and what he felt in his heart. And this is what he says, Before those words broke upon my mind, I hated God and was angry with him because not content with frightening us sinners by the law and the miseries of life, he still further increased are torture by the gospel. But when by the Spirit of God I understood these words, the righteous will live by faith, the righteous will live by faith, I felt born again like a new man. I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God. He understood, Luther of all people, he understood that he couldn't get right with God based on works. The more he tried to get right with God by observing the law and doing religion, the more he failed. And he rightly assessed how he stood before God. And so suddenly when the gospel appeared to him in the beauty of God's grace, it changed him. It utterly transformed his life he desired to reform the Catholic Church. This, this led to a whole lot of things. Within, within, but basically, the Protestant form of Christianity was born. 
Paul continues in verse 12, however, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by faith. He who practices them shall live by them. He's quoting from Leviticus 18.5, the first giving of the law. And the whole premise of the law was, if you want to be blessed by God, do these things. If you don't do these things, you're going to be cursed. It was this like reward and punishment system. Paul says it was never designed of faith. It was never designed this way. And he's going to unpack this more next week. But his point that he's making is the law and faith are mutually exclusive. You cannot combine them. They cannot operate together. Then in verse 13, if we began in verse 1, where we see that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified, the, simpl- the simplicity of the gospel, we now circle back around. In verse 13, we read, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. This word redeem, this idea of redemption, it was a word to buy at the marketplace a slave, to buy them out of slavery, that they were redeemed out of the slavery. And we're told that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So a slave being redeemed out of slavery, we also have been redeemed by Jesus out of slavery, out of slavery of sin, out of slavery of the law, out of slavery of religion. We've been set free. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. This is substitutionary atonement where Christ became our substitute on the cross. He stood there in our place. Having become a curse for us, He reads, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. It's by God's grace that we stand justified before him on the basis of our faith, our faith, faith in what Jesus did on the cross. I'm like, what do we, what do, we do with this? These, these questions that he asked, remember back when? Remember back when, when you were in your sin and your filth and you were broken before God? And, and you, all, you had nothing to bring. You understood how bad your sin was. And like what I read a few weeks ago, the only thing that we bring to the table is with God and our salvation is our sin. I know I sound like a broken record, but this text is so beautiful that we are going to be confronted with the gospel week in and week out in Galatians. It's just right there for us. How do we get right and stay right with God? These are critical questions. 
Jesus redeemed us from the law. He's redeemed us from sin. He's redeemed us from religion, from works. This is huge. He did it because he loved us. He did it based on grace, meaning we don't deserve it. There is nothing that we have done to deserve salvation. Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. We hadn't been able to even make one step forward in getting right with God when Jesus died for us. The only thing we bring is our sin and our faith. And this is huge. We can't ever forget that our relationship with God is based on his mercy and his grace. God loves us. He is kind towards us. He is a forgiving God. What he wants from us is that we respond to him by faith. And as we respond to him by faith, his spirit is poured into us. We're sealed by him until the day of redemption. And as we're transformed, we are, yes, our lives begin to look different. We begin to, to lead different lives. We do good works, and we do these things that God prepared beforehand, but we don't do them to get right with God. We do them out of a response of what God has done for us. It's huge. And so with that, let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that Jesus paid it all. That he went to the cross, that he fully absorbed the wrath that was due us for our sin. Father, I pray that we would never grow tired of reflecting upon this truth. Father, as we approach the Easter season, as we come in a couple weeks just to focus on Good Friday, we pray, Father, that just in this season that you would help us to understand in, in, a, in a small way, Lord, the magnitude of what Jesus did at all. I think of uh, that old, the old hymn that he paid the whole of our, for our sin, not just a part of it, that he paid the, the whole. He did it all. All we bring to the table is our faith, our trust, that his work on the cross was sufficient for us. And we thank you for that. God, we pray that you would help us to live lives that truly reflect the people who trust you. We trust you for the good times. We trust you for the difficult times. We lay our fear, our concerns, our worries all at your feet. Father, we pray that you would comfort us with your spirit, that you would lead us, that you would care for us as the psalmist writes in Psalm 23. We love you, God, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, well, I look forward to seeing you all next week. May you have a wonderful week. God bless you.